Welcome, everybody, to today's episode, Fire More Than Flames and Smoke. And this is a multi-part series being offered by Normie.tv. It's also available on numerous other platforms, and you can find that at normie.org. I want to welcome today's guest, Dr. Gavin McGregor Skinner, who is the Senior Director from ISSA, and he is also a Senior Leader in the GBAC organization, which is a Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council. Gavin, say hello. Yeah, hi, Lance. Um, how are you today? Good. And if I missed on the actual titles, please correct me and fill us in a little bit more about your background. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, Lance. I, so I work for ISSA, the Worldwide Cleaning Industry Association, and uh, I manage the, the, the team with the Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council, which is a division of ISSA. I'm also an associate professor, Lance, at the Penn State College of Medicine. I've been uh, working with Penn State since 2011. I teach three graduate courses, uh, three 15-week courses on biological risk management. Well, that is exactly what we need to be talking about today. And with that, I want to bring up an image real quick. So I want to talk about short-term health effects for people exposed to the wildfires that uh, have drifted down here into the US and central and the Eastern coast. And these images I wanna show you are what took place over a three to four day period. Now this was, I can tell you here in New Jersey, because I took the pictures myself, but this was mid afternoon and it looks like sunset. So give me a moment and I'll bring this up on the screen so everybody can see what we're actually talking about, especially if you didn't get the opportunity to experience this. Are you able to see the images? Yes, I can, Lance. Well, as you can see, these are sunset looking type of images in the middle of the day with no clouds, extremely thick uh, smoke conditions. And this smoke was coming from probably up to a thousand miles away up in Canada, all the way down to the uh, coastal area of New Jersey. Now, uh, from the reports and everything we got, it was even worse through the state of New York, Pennsylvania, which is closer to the Canadian border. So as far as health effects go, oh, and I, and I do wanna mention one other thing. You've seen these images. I wanna show you something graphical that we can then talk about. This was graphical data that I captured uh, outside my home, actually, over a week period. You can see leading up to where the spiking started on the graph that the outside levels of particulates and volatile organic compounds, VOCs, that were the chemistries in the air, are very low. And then you can see uh, it all of a sudden started to spike on the first day, and then it was kind of an up and down to where it got really bad by the third day. And then after that, it started to settle out and move on. So the images that you saw before this, this is graphical data talking about particulates at 2.5 microns, 10 microns, and one or sub micron size particulates, which really can affect people's health. So as far as short-term effects, how do you see that? Well, what's really interesting, Lance, is that if you go back to that period of time, you know, I think I, when I woke up on the Wednesday here in Washington, D.C., and your photos actually captured that very clearly, there was a lot of smoke in the air. And who? And we knew the fires were in Canada. 
who would have thought that I would wake up in Washington, D.C., and suddenly I realized the air that I breathe or am breathing today came from Canada? And you don't. You don't think where the at a local level, at the neighborhood level, where does the air come from that I breathe? We think it all is generated locally, but it wasn't. This air that I was breathing here in Washington, D.C. on that Wednesday was coming from Canada. Why? Because the smoke showed that to me. It visualized it. It showed me that the fires in Canada were sending smoke down, hold down the east coast of the U.S. And I think everyone needs to understand smoke anywhere is just bad for the human body. It also affects animals. No matter how healthy a person is, or how long they're exposed to. Smoke is smoke exposure is just bad. And we need to understand what does that bad mean? Um, so if I look at you know what were the messages going out from those that from the you know when the photos that you took, Lance, showing the sun blocked out, showing all that smoke in the air, um, what were the key messages being delivered to the public, the community? And we're very fortunate because, you know, here, here's my phone. On my phone here, I have a number of apps. Um, we have a lot, uh, there's a lot of apps that are available that can make you aware of outdoor air quality. Not very many, I, I think very few people would have apps on their phone for indoor air quality. But we have a lot of apps for outdoor air quality. And on my phone, I use the weather app. It's free. And if I click on the weather app for Washington, D.C., I can see what the air quality is and it's monitored and it's called the air quality index or AQI. So again, the weather app ha ha has it, it's online. Many other apps use the air quality index. And we know that the air quality index around about 50 or less is considered healthy. We also know that sensitive and vulnerable people might notice ill effects to their health at levels as low as 51. And we know that from that air quality index, levels at 150 or greater are considered unhealthy for everyone. So what we saw, um, this air quality index uses six different color schemes. But you know, Lance, when I do my hazards identification, my risk assessments, I usually stick to the traffic light system, red, yellow, green, because that's universal. Everyone understands what red, yellow, green means. When you bring in other colors, um, it, it, it can be confusing. What is orange? What is purple? What is violet? Yeah, that's what they say. There's six colors in the air quality index. And we started seeing maps on the news, on TV, on our on, on the websites, in, in newspapers, in the general media and social media. And a lot of people didn't understand what that, those six colors meant. Um, and But again, what we want to be really clear here, a level at 150 or above on the air quality index is considered unhealthy for everyone. And what we saw for the smoke from Canada, you know, places like New York, Washington, D.C., other, other, other locations went up into the 300s, even the 400s. And this air quality index lens only goes to 500. It stops at 500. So when we saw an, uh, the numbers in four, in the, up, up into 400s, that's, that's never happened before. That's, that's setting new records for many of those locations. I guess the way you could equate that is when we actually deal with indoor air quality and we get particulate counts and mold in the environment and extremely high, it's almost like breathing soup. Yep. It's, it's that thick. And the particulate size of this smoke is extremely concerning because it goes deep into your lungs and is a direct uh, access point into your blood system. This is really important, Lance. So if you look at when you see smoke, like in the photos that you showed, 
we're, we're concerned and we saw this being talked about, about, you know, the hazards, the risks, it's about particles. And so smoke, even wildfire smoke, is harmful primarily because it contains airport particulate matter, these particles. And you saw on your graph that you showed, Lance, you know, these particles can be measured in microns, 10 microns, 2.5 microns, 1 micron down to 0.3 microns. Understand that the smallest grain of sand is still 40 times larger than a PM 2.5, a particulate matter of 2.5 particle. A, the, the width of a human hair is about 50 microns. So as soon as you get down to 10, you, we, we can't see those with the human eye until we see lots and lots of particles together. So when you see particles at 2.5, 10, like you showed in your graph, all coming together, that's what causes the smoke. That's what gives us the visualization. Now, we have a, you know, wildfires, forest fires, grass fires have been around for, for years, for centuries, and we have a lot of data. If we go back to, say, the 2020 California fires that turned the sky just like in your photo, Lance, an, an up, up, you know, apocalyptic shade of orange is what I would call, um, it was emitted by more than 1 million metric tonnes of PM 2.5. In California in 2020, in those fires, that was a 2,360% increase above normal, normal air, according to the, the California Air Resource, Resources Board. And so it's really important to understand there are particles in the air. So these, if we focus on the short-term exposure to particulate matter, so let's focus on particulate matter 2.5, PM 2.5, which is we saw in the media, we saw everyone talking about PM 2.5. We know that short-term exposure can trigger lots of health problems, um, including but not limited to coughing, stinging eyes, a scratchy throat, a runny nose, chest pain, headaches, uh, asthma attacks, fatigue, uh, wheezing, breathing difficulties. And again, all this information is freely available through the US government on the US Center for Disease Control Prevention site, the CDC. But also, that, Lance, there's more serious impacts to the lungs and heart when you see particulate matter like PM 2.5 in the air, you can have reduction in lung function, even in really healthy people. And we know that the exposure to like the photos you showed um, can affect on heart health. So these particles can enter the bloodstream. They can trigger inflammation, leading to either heart attacks and stroke. They can worsen the health of people who have conditions like diabetes. And we also know from research that Harvard University has studies, and there's other studies out there, that have shown that wildfire smoke increases the risk from infectious diseases so that in one Harvard University study that I'm familiar with, it estimated that the PM 2.5, the particulate matter 2.5 emissions from the 2020 wildfires in the states of California, Oregon, and Washington state were associated with about a 12% increase in COVID cases and over an 8% increase in COVID deaths in 2020. You know, you mentioned about all the particulate, the information being released to the public and stuff, and everybody's focusing on particulates. I spoke with, uh, in one of the other episodes that we did, a gentleman who is a um, <clears throat> works on the uh, federal side of the firefighting wildfire teams. 
he's actually a consultant now with all the uh, jets that are out there dropping water and flame retardant uh, materials. <clears throat> but I asked him the difference in the types of smoke coming out of Canada and from wildfires. And he says there's two different types. One is the type burning the, the forest, just like a campfire. You're burning logs and vegetation, stuff like that. The second type is when that forest fire creeps into industrial and residential areas and starts burning homes and factories and all the materials and chemistries there that changes the smoke and the contamination to not just particulate, but VOCs, volatile organic compounds, all the chemistries that are now airborne and being burned and converted to other things entering our lungs. That's really important, Lance, because the messages that were being delivered about the, you know, the, the, the fire, the, the, sorry, the wildfire smoke in the air just recently focused on particles. It didn't focus on chemicals. It didn't focus on volatile organic compounds. We didn't see them being measured or reported in real time. Yes, we know the measurements were taken, but they are, again, that information wasn't made available. Um, and I think it would, it would have been much more responsible because we saw the smoke in the air. You took the photos of the smoke in the air, turned the, the sun orange, it turned the sky dark grady, gray, and I saw it here in Washington, D.C., where I live. You know, a few measurements to say, Yes, we've got particles, but do we have other other chemicals? That I, I didn't see that data available. Um, we know from studies, you know, there's a good 2022 review in the Journal of Climate Change and Health. And the problem with these studies in these journals that a lot of the community, a lot of just the public can't access these journals because you've got to be a, a subscriber, you've got to pay money. Um, so it's really important that we do think videos like this lens to take those studies and sort of translate uh, and synthesize the information so that everyone understands what's being done. And that's not done enough. But so if we go back to a, a 2020 review in the Journal of Climate Change and Health that probably most people haven't seen, they found that there were long term effects of wildfire with PM 2.5 exposure. And those long term effects included higher risks of respiratory disease but also cancer. And so it's really interesting that we now look at, okay, so again, the air where I am now in Washington, D.C. lands today is pretty clear. I don't know what the measurements are. I haven't measured it, but I don't see any smoke in the air. And what we've seen from, you know, wildfires in Canada, Australia, um, California, we've seen the, the week after that smoke, like in your photos, We've seen an increase in emergency room visits. Um, we've seen an increase uh, in um, people visiting the physician or the doctor. We've seen increase in prescription of medications for, say, respiratory um, complications or respiratory problems, difficulties. And we've also seen studies, Lance, uh, say, I think through the oh, what was one study? One study that I know of through the California Air Resources Board. They estimated that PM 2.5, particulate matter 2.5 from all sources, is responsible for 5,400 premature deaths uh, and 2,800 hospitalizations for cardiovascular heart and respiratory diseases in California every year. And they also, in the same studies, reports said that PM 2.5, particulate matter 2.5, was also associated with 6,700 asthma-related hospital emergency room visits 
in California every year. So it's going to be really interesting a week after what your photos show, the week after the smoke coming from Canada, how many visits were made by people, we haven't got that data yet, to emergency rooms, how many people went to see the physician or the doctor, and what, what was the number of prescriptions and medications uh, given to people that are now reporting with maybe breathing difficulties and as asthma and other problems? You know, it, it's interesting because we recently also did an episode on sensitized individuals with Michael Pinto, and he talks about a lot of that. But the question I have for you is, we've talked about short-term effects. And I think we're starting to teeter on now that we're a week, week and a half plus out. What are the long-term effects? But before we get to that specific question, what's the difference of the group that we're not talking about with uh, babies, children, pregnant women, and we can't re or forget the group of the elderly? Oh, yeah. So we've, you've, the elderly will have a lot of underlying conditions um, you know, that, that, again, make them prone to uh, particulate matter PM 2.5 and less uh, particles, smaller particles, which do exist in, 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 in just in smoke in general. Um, but if you focus on that real critical, you've identified that critical cohort, that critical group, uh, Lance, of um, pregnant people, babies, young children, they really need to avoid uh, smoke exposure as much as possible. And so um, it's really important that we get those warnings out in time. A lot of us will stay indoors, uh, recirculate, or some of us don't, but we need to ensure that our air conditioning is recirculating and not bringing in that outdoor air because a lot of the filters that we have will not pull out the, um, the particles in our home or even places where we work. So it's really important to understand babies, young kids are at high risk because their bodies aren't fully developed. And if you look at pregnant people, their bodies have been fully developed, but they, when they're pregnant, you're, you're in overdrive. This really has a big effect on your immune system. So there are studies that have shown us that wildfire smoke exposure can lead to preterm birth. So that's preterm birth, Lance, is birth before 37 weeks of gestation. It also leads to babies with low birth weight, leads to babies with impaired lung functions and other health risks. And there was a study, gosh, in 2022 in the Journal of Environmental Research. Again, many people probably haven't seen this one, but in this environmental research study, it looked at birth outcomes in California between 2006 and 2012. And what they found was each additional day of exposure to wildfire smoke during pregnancy. So people that are pregnant, increase the risk of preterm birth. That's preterm birth. That's be, you know less than what, what we say, 37 weeks. Now, the same studies or same study that, that, that I'm aware of estimates that as many as 7,000 additional preterm births occurred in California that were attributable to exposure to wildfire, wildfire smoke during that period of study, six years. Sounds just like secondhand smoke exposure. Exactly. Smoke is, yeah, exactly. So. And those preterm babies that were born, you know, before 37 weeks of gestation had greater risk of experiencing respiratory complications, developmental issues and death. And, and so it's so important. We talk about children now, Lance, developmental issues. We know that wildfire exposure hurts, impairs, decreases children's performance in school. And we know that researchers and studies have looked at that possible link between wildfire smoke exposure and school performance. 
We've seen those studies done in, US, in the US and also Australia. And so a study that I'm aware of in the US used standardized test scores from 2009 and 2016 for nearly 12,000 school districts. And they compared to a school year with no smoke to a school year with wildfire smoke. And they found that the, the cumulative smoke exposure may have reduced student test scores by roughly 0.15% of a standard deviation. That Now, that may not mean much to people, that's a lot. And that information was published in the Journal of Nature in 2022. That is a significant decrease in people's ability to learn, to understand, to, to think. Um, and th yeah, again, that information does exist. You know, there's so many uh, effects and we're, we're starting to touch on the long-term effects. Uh, I've noticed from people within the circle that I travel starting to report eye infections, earaches, ear infections, sinus infections. And this is all a week after. I was kind of predicting out two weeks for people to start to have issues. But as far as the long-term effects, because just because the smoke cleared out, didn't do anything with all the debris left behind, all the ash that's dropped out of the air. I know the cars here had a grayish color to them, you know, for days. And we haven't had rain for almost four weeks. We finally got some rain to wash some of it out of the atmosphere. But uh, this is just something that is continual. And these particulates don't just vanish. Oh, no, you're right, Lance. And so we always say, you know, dirty air leads to dirty surfaces. That Those particles in the air will eventually come down and land on surfaces. So if I look at... Uh, my car parked in the street over that course of the smoke in Washington, D.C. last week, I can see the particles on my car. You know, it's a black car and I can see how dirty the windscreen got and how dirty the, the surface of the car became just from that smoke. Uh, it's really interesting that when we start to talk about, oh, well, it wasn't that bad or it didn't really affect me. I only had a, you know, the short term effects of, you know, particulate matter 2.5 or less could be, you know, the a coughing, stinging eye, scratchy throat, runny nose, chest pain, uh, headaches, fatigue, wheezing. You know, I, I run with a running group here in DC and the people that ran last week told me on the weekend, we just don't feel good enough. We don't feel well enough. We've still got a scratchy throat. We're still a wheezing. We've got a little, some breathing difficulties. Um, we can't run with you, Gavin, on the weekend. And would they make a, would they make official data, official statistics? No, they wouldn't. So that's you know the information that I've collected just through the the group of friends that I have here in DC. So a lot of that information would never be recorded anywhere, and it takes then a lot of effort. Um, like we talked about the Harvard study, you know, Harvard University study, and the um, California Air Resources Board studies to then study the long term effect. And a lot of people then will say, well, that that happened years ago, and they don't relate or see the, the link between the time they were exposed, that week of being exposed to smoke versus they might have respiratory disease, cancer, or um, cardiovascular um, inflammatory problems with uh, like, you know, heart attacks and strokes. Those correlations really aren't made because it takes, it, it, it's happened so much longer or, or, or over time since the actual acute event of being exposed to wildfire smoke. Um, that's always a challenge for us, Lance. It's hard to tell people you've got to, you know, there's a hazard, there's a risk, you've got to take precautions, you've got to do this. 
when they don't initially feel the, the, the really significant bad effects either that day or the next day. You know, you're right. And, you know, you had said that, you know, which is what everybody else is saying, the news media, all officials you know, about staying indoors, staying indoors. But it's the same agencies like the EPA that are saying that in normal conditions, your indoor air quality is five to 10 times more polluted than the outside air. So they're telling people, especially sensitized individuals, children, things like that to be outside, especially if you're having a, a positive reaction to your normal home. But now we're telling people to stay inside in the polluted area that is an issue, which is still less polluted than the outside. Well, Lance, this is so important. So you actually showed real data. I think, was that data outside or inside data that you showed? on? That was outside. outside. That was outside. So I have six indoor air quality monitors in my house, and I know the alarms went off. Um, I know that um, I have friends who have also have indoor air quality models, and we know these are affordable. So these are affordable. So it's important that, you know, we you see the baseline of where your indoor air quality is, because that's what my indoor air quality monitors measure. But then you can see the, how the outside air coming in can influence that. And whether you, and we've heard this, a lot of discussions, Lance, well, maybe you can't protect all of the inside of your house or all of the inside where you work. Maybe you have to identify a room that has, um, uh, an air quality monitor with uh, maybe an air quality um, device that cleans the air uh, and people should stay in there while there is a risk. And I think it's really important that we emphasize to everyone, um, Lance, those indoor air quality monitors, as well as air quality purifiers right now, are, they're affordable. You know, it, it used to be they, were, they it was cost was an issue. Not anymore. You can buy those. You can use those. And I would highly recommend that if you know, reach out to us and we'll provide you, um, you know, with a list of those that we have done our research on, we've done our due diligence, we know they, that they're backed by evidence and science, and it really will change people's behaviour uh, and improve their quality of life if they start measuring more. You know, we see measurements for outdoor air through the Air Quality Index, um, but wouldn't it be great if at the same time more people could have indoor air quality monitors in their home even their cars, for example, and be able to then see the numbers, react appropriately, change their behaviours, and and actually come up with solutions that improve their air quality without waiting till they get the the symptoms we just talked about. In one of the other episodes, uh, I was in a discussion, and I used the glass of drinking water as an example. You know, people want to take a nice, clear, crystal type of look of water and drink that. If you were to make that water cloudy or brownish, people say, I'm not drinking that. Well, air is the same thing. The difference is it's not in a small container. So you don't see the pollution. You don't see anything other than if you see like a lot of pollen on your car during spring, something like that. Oh, it's the allergies are bad. That's why I'm coughing. But other than that, people can't see particularly because it's microscopic. So they take breathing for granted. And that's one of the most critical things that we do. I also use the example in another one where a person can go 20 to 40 days without eating. They can go three to seven days without drinking. You can go four to six minutes without breathing. So we can't stop doing that. So like you said, a safe room, an environment where if they are struggling, they can go into that for a few hours, give their system a break, feel better, and then go back out and do what you have to do. 
especially since the indoor air quality is normally so much worse than the outside air, which unfortunately because of this pollution problem from the smoke made the outside air so much worse. Yeah, and that's how we all work together, Lance, you know, through NORMI, uh, GBAC, the Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council, a, sub a division of ICE to say, you know, our subject matter experts, we sit there, we know that um, there's a way of making the unseen seen be visible. Uh, we know how to identify those hazards and then calculate the risk and you know, likelihood of something happening and the consequence if it happens. And, you know, we all know that we use that definition of consequences, how bad can it get? Um, and so much of our air, as, as you correctly said, Lance, water is unseen. There are it can be contaminants, pollutants in the air, contaminants, pollutants in water, and it still appears, it looks or even smells safe and healthy. But it, unless we measure more, we will never be able to improve. And that's why I think we all talk about that, you know, it's so important. The tools are available, the equipment's there, the expertise is there, the science is there to start measuring more and then working with subject matter experts to interpret properly, appropriately what those measurements mean so that people can act, change their behavior, develop, implement solutions. And I think last week was a really good example with the smoke in the air, colors on a map, six different colors with the air quality index. And in just in my own personal opinion, maybe six colors is too much. Maybe it's confusing. Maybe people didn't understand what the colors. And then when, when we had the colors, we also got numbers. Here's, the, here's 425 in New York City. Here's 350 in Philadelphia. Here's 308. All these different numbers came out for different locations. I don't think people realized what the number means. So if you give a color, if you give a number, then you must give an interpretation, a so what, and you must tell the public what to do. Well, there are other things that are also affected besides what we're talking about now. We've talked about, you know, the young, the elderly. We've talked about uh, pregnant individuals. We've talked about sensitized individuals. There's a few other things we need to talk about. Number one, and I know it's, and I mentioned this in another episode, that it sounds a little bit on the dramatic side, but from this heavy smoke condition, we actually got a glimpse into what a nuclear winter would look like. The temperatures that are normally 80, 85 degrees in New Jersey this time of the year were barely able to get out of the 60s. It, it dropped the ambient temperature almost 20 degrees every day while there was smoke. Once the smoke cleared out, the temperature went back up to normal. Now that affects plant growth. It affects our food source. And speaking of food sources, it affects livestock with breathing, their outside creatures. And we can't forget our pets especially the ones that either have you know, like doggy doors that go in and out or outside pets. So how does it affect them? Yeah, really important, Lance. Um, we knew the in Washington, D.C., the National Zoo was closed to all people, closed to visitors because they had bought the animals indoors away from the, the smoke. Now, all the enclosures at the National Zoo um, on air conditioning that recirculates? No, it's not, but at least that would decrease to some level, some degree, uh, their exposure to the smoke that was outside. Again, um, ec you know, in horses, equine asthma is real. And we know from uh, you know, fires in Australia, um, information and data from fires in California, we uh, horses 
can suffer inflammatory diseases. Um, we see equine asthma increase after forest fires or wildfire fires. Um, that data is available. That's, 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 that's known. That's been studied. Um, less so in companion animals like dogs and cats. But yes, we do know that, again, those animals are breathing the same air that we're seeing that we would breathe. Um, really interesting, just a, a couple of anecdotal um, reports that I've received um, from colleagues and friends here in D.C. They had to let, let their cat or their dog out to go to the bathroom, the toilet, or just get some exposure outside so they wouldn't go mad inside you when they run around. Opening and closing that door very briefly to let, us say, a dog out. Um, and the people that had indoor air quality monitors saw that by just opening that door very briefly to let their pet out, changed their indoor air quality on their monitors significantly. And what I mean by that, if they were sitting at like a 95 to 98%, it dropped down in some of the, the photos that I received down to 70, 73% in that very brief period. So it's not like it takes a long time for the smoke to rush into the house. When you open the door, that smoke came in and that indoor air quality monitor then measured and you saw in real time right there and then a change in your indoor air quality um, you know, by a number. The challenge we have, though, is how to interpret those numbers. So, yeah, again, Lance, the many animals can't go indoors. They were exposed. And again, um, a lot of this data won't be measured, but we do know from studies uh, that we do see inflammation problems as, as well as respiratory problems in animals exposed to wildfire smoke. You know, one of the things, just like with uh, very young children, animals can't really tell you what's bothering them. You might see the animal acting up or different or lethargic, but you won't know what's really going on, just like with children. So it, it's something you need to pay attention to. Don't forget about the pet that was outside all day during that smoke. They may start to have issues going forward. Yes, I'm a pet lover. Can't help it. Oh, but very important, Lance. My dog, Buddy, did not want to go outside last week when we had all the smoke in the air. Now, yes, he's going to go out in the rain either. So, you know. Well, yeah, but you know, he, he, he loves the snow. But you, you can see it was really interesting that to be at the, the door, let, trying to let him out, uh, you know, to get some exercise, to go to the bathroom. He really had to be just pushed through it. He knew, he knew what was out there was he was, you know, I don't want to go out in that. And I think, you know, you look at animal behavior, um, they, you know, animals will tell us lots of stories about the quality of outdoor air. Well, if I look for a positive for this whole thing coming out of Canada, I think it was an awareness that's brought to the public that this could happen at any time. The fires are still going on. The um, the smoke could change direction with the wind. We could have another repeat of this. And it gives us a glimpse as to what could happen again. It could be longer lasting. And how do we deal with that going forward? I mean, it's just like the people in Florida and the Gulf Coast that live in a hurricane prone area. But they don't go and buy plywood till 24 hours before the storm's going to hit. You know the storms are going to be there. Prepare ahead of time. You know, like you had said, you can get monitors to know what's going on in your home. You can get air purification. You can get better filters. I mean, the, the term we use is you either have a good filter or you are one. You know? Yep. Um, really important, Lance. Again, I'm going to go back to the to my to my cell phone, my mobile phone. Um, in times of tornadoes, um, hurricanes, I'll get messages on my phone, take cover now. So you know, a government agency has interpreted the, the risk of the, the tornado, the storm, the hurricane, and I need to take cover, seek, seek shelter. 
What I found in the messages that were given out on my phone, it wasn't that clear. Yes, your photos show clearly there was lots of smoke, lots of particles, and maybe other substances in the air during when you took those photos. But the, the messages I got on my phone, in the media, on TV, social media, in the newspaper wasn't clear enough to say, you know, and then it was it wasn't just some groups that were going to be affected. It was going to be everyone. And it wasn't really, I think, you know, this is very, you know, we're, summer is just starting here in the U.S., on the east coast, um, west coast, you know, in the northern hemisphere, it's just starting. We, this, we're very early in the wildfire season, and I think we've got the air quality index with numbers and colours. We've got messages that went out, uh, warnings, but I think this is the time to be clear on what actions. What do you need to really, really do to protect the health of you, your family, your loved ones, and your pets and your animals? And I think this is a good opportunity. What happened last week? Learn from that and say, right, how do we do better in giving very clear, actionable advice? Tell people what to do and how to do it using what everyone's carrying right now, Lance, one of these, the cell phone. Well, I, I think education is the important part and the public education uh, is really important, whether it's through PSAs, public service announcements, or just making it available for people to call, reach out to the ISSA group, to Normie or Normie.tv. We can help guide people, you know, to where to get more information that's factual, not just somebody selling a widget and, you know, here's the best thing. I mean, I saw people walking around with paper towel masks because they knew wearing a mask was going to help with particulate. The paper towel mask was useless, but you know, somebody said, well, use a paper towel. It'll help. Well, does it help? Yes. It's like emptying a swimming pool using a tablespoon. You know, yeah, you are emptying it, but your effect is really, really limited. And that's a good point, Lance, because we've gone through the, the three years or so of a uh, COVID-19 you know, pandemic. People have masks. Um, or they know where to buy masks or get have accessibility to masks. The challenge we have, Lance, is there's so many people in our neighbourhoods, our community, in our cities, our towns where we work, that they have to work out outdoors. We saw, we saw when the when just when the the, the photos you took, the smoke in the air, we saw the schools cancel all outdoor activities. We saw professional sporting bodies like the Major League Baseball cancel games. But again. That's for the population that was going to go watch a game. That's for the kids that were school that wanted to play outside. What about the people that have to work outside? Where was the uh, actionable solutions, you know, the information there to say, you work outside, we need you to work outside, this is what you need. I, I, I really professionally and honestly believe, Lance, a lot of that information was missing and a lot of people in our towns, in our communities, our neighborhoods have to work outside. They have no choice. I just read an article of um, the lawsuits that came out of 9-11. And uh, Christy Whitman was one of the named individuals in that, I think director of EPA at the time, or one of those large organizations, where she came out and said that the air quality a week later was okay for people to go and work there and return to New York City. And 15 years later, she was found guilty of uh, all this misleading information and stuff because the data showed it was unhealthy. I mean, we're 20 plus years out. There's still debris from them in the walls, in drop ceilings, in buildings all around New York. 
So this isn't a, a short-term effect. Oh, it was there. It's gone. The air looks clear. It's nice out today. You know, all of this affects us going forward. Oh, it's so important that everyone understands dirty air leads to dirty surfaces. You know, Lance, I did 12 years in the military. Um, you know, when all the deployments I did around the world, you know, we, we don't want to leave waste in a footprint in a foreign country, so we burn it. And so you have you can easily see, um, you know, there's books written about, there's movies made, the, the, the exposure of soldiers um, and the military to smoke pits. The, the 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 fire from, from from fire pits the smoke that comes from fire pits and and the increase in cancer in those in, in those military personnel uh, and again look at the numbers that came out from um you know from from that from 911 in 2001 when so many of our colleagues Lance went there um with the best intentions to help to do what they have been trained to do and look at the number of friends and colleagues that we have that we know of that uh, have been diagnosed with cancer since that deployment back in 2001. And I know the number of, of, again, friends I have in the military that were exposed to smoke pits over the years and have cancer. Um, it's real what it means we have to do better when we go to respond to those uh, important acute events uh, to try to mitigate them, respond to them, and, and, and then go into recovery. We've got to do better in our training as well as our equipment uh, to protect what what we know in the long term causes inflammatory disease, heart disease, lung disease, cancer. Absolutely. Well, Gavin, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. I mean, it's always informative listening to you. I, I think this was information that we needed to get out in this series with the actual data, a lot of the study information, short and long-term effects, which is what we've covered. And um, just give people a place to go if they have questions or concerns, you know, how to reach out and get help. You know, the Normie organization at normie.org, uh, ISSA organization, uh, GBAC. There's a lot of credible sources out there that are out there doing this for the right reason and trying to educate the public. So I want to thank you for being part of that. I want to thank you for being part of this series that we're doing on fire and smoke. And um, we'll do this again. You're more than welcome, Lance. Again, we're even at Normie and ISSA and GBAC now. We are still working right now. How can we do better? in translating the information we know, the research we know, into helping people understand this is what you need to do when you see that apocalyptic look in the sky. The sun is is blocked out. It turns you know, bright, hot orange based on smoke or particles in the air. And it's something we're still working on, Lance, and hopefully we'll be able to do better and get better information out to everyone. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think closing out, I just want to leave the images up there on the screen. Um, Let's see if I can bring this up real quick. You have the uh, sun up there now and the smoke. Yes, can see it, Lance. And as we know, we we saw it, we lived through it, we breathed it, we kept doing our, the work we should do. Um, but again, did we decrease the hazard, the risk? Did we wear did we wear the appropriate equipment to to protect ourselves? No, we didn't do a good job of that. Well, I think this is a good start. I think we're getting the information out there. Hopefully, this is helping people answering some of their questions. So thank you again. I appreciate the time. And uh, we'll do more series down the road. You're more than welcome, Lance.